Hello, welcome back to Ars Arcanum, an exploration of the Brandon Sanderson Cosmere universe. I'm Nora, I'm joined by Mark. Hi, I'm Mark. I'm joined by Autumn. I'm Autumn. And we're joined by Brandon himself. Hello, Brandon. <laughs> None of us have a good Brandon impression. This yeah. joke isn't going to work. <laughs> I kind of I, I have it sometimes. Do you want to hit, hit no, me with a Brandon impression? I don't want to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um... Anyone read any books lately? I haven't. I, I worked 45 hours-ish last week, so I have not read any books. So. I'm a third of the way through Dark Force Rising. Do you have what a podcast where you're going to talk about that? I sure do. <laughs> uh, Dark Force Rising is the second in the Thrawn trilogy, and I'll be talking about it on uh, The War in Our Stars at some point this month, whenever Autumn and Jackson read the book. I could start it today and probably finish it by the weekend. I just probably Jackson could probably do that too. Yeah, uh, that that book is complete nonsense, but I'm not going to talk about it here. Uh, you should go to exportodd.io/slash Star Wars. Star Wars: The War in Our Stars. I think exportodd.io/slash George Lucas. <laughs> okay, that works. That's, you should but, just hot link it to a picture of George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> That's a better idea. <laughs> but definitely slash Star Wars works. Okay. Mark, did you read any books? Not not really. Um, because, uh, so there's been, I, I think I've mentioned before, there's this whole thing where Ben and I like to read books to each other out loud. Um, and mm -hmm. we finished, last time we recorded, we had just finished Two Serpents Rise, and I talked about that. And we were in the middle of Nova, and we finished Nova. And Nova is good. I... I I maybe want to temper my recommendation of it a little bit just because um, it wasn't as interesting in the conclusion as I had hoped. Um, I think probably Samuel Delaney has, like, deeper books. Um, but it was a really fun adventure story mm -hmm. about, like, people sailing in space. So, like, that is good shit. Um, and then uh, we haven't really started reading other books because I don't know we kind of like like to take a break after finishing one also the next one that I want to read to Ben is called Blindsight um which is a uh it's a it's a hard science fiction novel uh by Peter Watts um and it's very bleak and like depressing <laughs> Mm -hmm. um and i do really mm -hmm. want to read it because i've heard it's really good i have a good friend who loves it and loves like peter watts's work in general um but we've kind of been procrastinating on starting it because it's depressing mm -hmm. uh so i guess made the main thing that i've been doing instead of reading books is watching ben play disco elysium um and that's not really a book it's even less a book than Uman Echo is, and I haven't talked about Uman Echo on this podcast, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's apparently based on a book that the, the like, one of the designers wrote, but it hasn't been translated. I think when it does get translated, I'd really like to read it. But, yeah, yeah, I, I, I really want to read it. that book, too, because, frankly, I would love to know more, like, world-building shit about the setting that Disco Elysium is in. And, like, I mean, you know, I think the game does a very good job of... Mm -hmm incorporating the world building stuff in a way that is gradual and sort of like uh, uh draws your interest along you know it's not like you just get like a dump of lore it's like you slowly figure shit out and you're like wait a minute what the fuck is up with this world um but uh <laughs> but having been enticed by that throughout the entire game i still have some huge questions that i would really like answered like okay 
but like what is an innocence and how does that work and i don't know if the book is actually going to give me that but i but i want it to mm-hmm. yeah i um i had a weird like relationship with uh disco elysium with a lot of highs and lows um and a lot of the lows were related to like i didn't like interacting with the video game part of it and so i kind of think like yeah. i would i did enjoy parts of that story a lot and i'd be really curious to see like what that story is like in a novel as opposed to like a, a game that i'm pressing buttons and having weird friction with I that book really is definitely wish... on my list yeah you got it. i was just gonna say it's definitely on my list of like these books kind of sort of inspired x other thing that i'm aware of like mm-hmm. that one book that assassin's creed is ripping off oh right um and like i ha- i just keep like i don't have this as a list on goodreads or anything just in my head i'm like oh yeah i'll read those someday mm-hmm. all those things yeah that one the stalker is based on i'll read that someday the witcher i'll read that someday I thought Stalker was based on a film called Stalker. I think the film is based on a book. Oh, I didn't know that part. I think it's like something roadside. Oh, you know what? I do know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. I remember exactly. I don't don't want to say the wrong title or anything. but I don't know. People out there know. M knows, for sure. M knows. Um, That's just like, I keep a catalog in my head of like books that inspired shit I've heard of and or like. Mm -hmm. And so, you know. This is one of those, but also I don't have to worry about it because it's not in English yet. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, I, I do have to say, so I have not actually literally played Disco Elysium. You might have heard that I said I watched Ben play it. That's because I don't play video games. Like, I've barely played any video games in my life. And that means that it's not just a matter of, like, you know, video games are difficult and so I find it hard to, like, succeed at them although that's kind of the issue it's literally that i don't enjoy maneuvering a little man around a 3d environment (laughs) like i think most people my age learned to do that when they were like six (laughs) and i didn't so it's Mm -hmm. really stressful to me um so uh yeah i really wish that they had just made disco elysium as a visual novel like i would have loved a game where the same kind of like uh conversations with your mind and like um junctures and conversations like that you have with other characters take place but you don't have to fucking move a little guy around <laughs> and succeed at quests yeah for sure i <laughs> that's interesting to think about just because like both i think i would enjoy disco elysium more as a visual novel and also i'm aware that like I would not have played Disco Elysium if it was not if it was a visual novel because that's just not a genre I have any experience with. And I yeah, and you know. I'm sure I'm sure it would not have gotten anywhere near as big if it was like a full on visual novel, visual novel. You know, mm-hmm. um, like I mean, mm-hmm. the thing that I'm proposing isn't quite a traditional VN because I still actually really like the the um, you know the whole like uh, different like parts of your mind slash skills thing, um, which is. Now, of course, right. I like that because that's tabletop games. That's not video games at all. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing stopping of you. I guess, like, having the skills and the dice rolls and everything doesn't require you to move a little guy around to work. Yeah. So someone could make a visual novel that has those 
elements. And I assume many people already have, and I just don't know about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that... uh, I do think that, um, like, when it comes to things that are making visual novels a little bit more game-like... I don't think that the specific thing Disco Elysium is doing has actually been done before. Um, I could be wrong. If anybody happens to know of a game where you have a bunch of uh, stats that you can improve over the course of the game that reflect like your character's personality, please do tell me because I'd love to play it. Um, but, you know. And in line with that, if there's a visual novel with dice in it, that is tabletopy. Let me know <laughs> because that sounds pretty fun. As a person who's spent the last month playing a bunch of licensed AD and D second edition computer RPGs, <laughs> I think it it would be cool to play like a dungeon crawler that was a visual novel. It just seems neat. And I swear to God, if anybody says Hades because I said dungeon crawler visual novel, I'm gonna lose. <laughs> When Hades came out, I was like, damn, I really wish I could play this game. I wish I could play any games because it looks so cool. The characters seem so compelling. But as a little bit more stuff came out about it, I was, uh, I I began to get on my Greek mythology high horse and get annoyed about it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh Um, Speaking of high horses. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. Um, horses are great at pulling carriages, and we read about a carriage no. in Elantris this week. Nora, I thought you were... <laughs> Nora, Randon is heavily yeah. on his high horse for this entire chapter. He's like yeah. being incredibly morally superior to everyone. How is that I'm not what old. you were doing? <laughs> I was thinking about horses. <laughs> <laughs> Can you pull up our chapter summaries, Nora? Raiden, the Raiden chapter, I'm going to vamp while Nora is pulling up the summaries. Raiden chapter is short, but just packed with content. Just, like, so much is happening here. Not Maybe not plot-wise, but just, like... There's a lot to talk book. about, absolutely. I'm, I'm very yeah. excited to get into this. There is... are words on this page. <laughs> Raiden is on his bullshit in this chapter. Alright. Chapter 31. This... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just read the first sentence. This is... I know! I know! I'm, I'm about to read the first sentence. I'll just say, preface... So, I want listeners to know... I listened to the first two minutes of this chapter last week, and so a lot of the conversation that we had about Raiden last week was colored by me reading this, and I'm really glad that we get to unpack this part, because this is a lot here. Yeah. I also read the first paragraph, because it was on the page after Raiden's chapter. Uh Uh-huh. Just glanced (laughs) at it. Would you like to go ahead and hit us with that first uh, sentence of the summary, at least? Raiden brings Salen to the suicide pool to put him out of his misery after three days of suffering. The ah! Elantrians... 
sorry. I just. I can't believe you can't call it the that. suicide pool. Well, okay. First of all, yeah, I can't cope with the fact that they call it a suicide pool. But also, uh, I don't know. Maybe I should just let you finish the story and then I can freak out. I'm sorry. I just. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. It's a lot. It's a lot. The Elantrians trickle back to Raiden's chapel when they realize that there will be no more deliveries of food by Serini. There is a respite in the attacks from Shaor's band due to the food still left behind in the courtyard, and this time is used to plant food and fortify defenses. Raiden and Galadon discuss Raiden's unlikely transformation and presence, and watch as he easily defends himself from three of Shaor's followers who try to steal his food offering. Raiden and Galadon decide to take a risk and infiltrate Shaer's territory to try to bribe her followers to abandon her by delivering their own offering of uncooked grain. After a few hours, one of her followers shows up at the chapel with some of the grain, and Raiden welcomes him and offers him the means to cook his own food since the uncooked grain is barely edible. Teach your men to fish, <laughs> and he'll eat for a lifetime. Okay. There's a lot here. Let's start at the start. Which is that last time, Raiden is like, nobody could know about the... I almost called it this. I don't like... I don't like that the phrase that Coppermind used here, the suicide pool. But last time, Raiden is like, can't tell anybody about the pool because, like, God forbid they had, like, you know, they got to make choices with their own lives and deaths. God forbid. But I still get to be the arbiter of life and death, and I have decided it's more convenient for Saelin to die for my own plans because it would, if he, it would make me sad. Well, if I brought him to the Hall of the Fallen and he was muttering about how he failed me, it would demoralize everybody, and so I have to and me and me, and so I have to take him to the pool because it's convenient. It sucks ass. It's. <laughs> It's so awful. Like, there are two rationales that he gives, I think, for why this he's making this decision. Even though he was just in the last selection, last chapter of him being like, oh, I'm not going to put anyone in this pool. One is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they had brought him to the pool partially because his wound was so terrible. So they're like, all right, he's... So that's supposed to mean, like, he is suffering more than all the rest of the Hoid? Like, you've got other people mm-hmm. who've been, like, chopped in half and shit. So, so that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the further reason given is partially because Rayadin knew that he could never enter the Hall of the Fallen with Salen inside. The mantra, I have failed my lord spirit, would have been too much. So it's because it is emotionally hard for Rayadin to hear the thing that Salen says mm-hmm. now that he's hoeyed. Like, what the fuck? And also, I don't think it's terrible because of the severity. I think it's terrible because it's ugly. Mm-hmm. I think they don't want to look at it. You could be right. You could be right. It's, it's that he's a fucking eyesore. That he is, like, uh, unpleasant for I... them to be around. I hate Raiden so much. I hate this motherfucker. <laughs> it's, this is just sick. Like, this is... Oh, my God. So, he, it's, he explicitly justifies this to himself in ways that are loathsome. I don't understand how... Yes. Like, there have been a lot of 
things with Raiden where we've all been like, wow, what a terrible person. And how dare he, like, sort of prop himself up as, like, such a good king. How dare the narrative prop himself up as such a good king when he's doing all this shit. But I think I've always kind of understood mm-hmm. how in, like, Brandon's mind, or in the sort of mind, from the perspective of, like, the authorial voice of this book, I've understood how you're supposed to think Raiden is a good guy, even though a lot of what he says and does feels very self-serving. You know, like, this whole stupid thing where he... Uh-huh is, like, opposed to Sereni, and he's like, oh, you don't know what you're doing, giving them food, Sereni. You're, like, fucking them up by doing that. Like, he that looks awful to all of us, because it is, but I understand the logic by which he's correct. But, like... Right. This is just laying it out really, really bare that Raiden doesn't care about people's suffering unless it is personally unpleasant to him to have to be around it. It's... That's the text. I can't... I cannot think of a book where I have hated the protagonist more than this book. I, he is a loathsome little shit man, and the way that the book is just totally convinced that he's right about everything sucks. It sucks. It sucks. I don't, I, I don't have anything to add to this other than, like, it's just disgusting to me. Yeah. Um, then <laughs> you follow that up with, um, everybody. Are we sure that this isn't ghostwritten by Mike Rowe? <laughs> Who is, is Mike that? Rowe? The, the Dirty Jobs Ford commercial guy. <laughs> who's always talking about work ethic and. Well, let me, let me get to that. Because, so the next part of this chapter is about, like, so, Sereni is no longer bringing food, and over the next couple days, people are like, oh, now I realize that work really is more important than food, and, like, people were coming back... Purpose is more important. Yeah, purpose, which is found through work, okay. to be clear. L- l- purpose is only found through labor. It's the only source... Which is of- provided to you by an, uh, a- an authority figure mm-hmm. who's very wise. Yes. Um, and, yeah, just like, oh, now that Sereni was gone, everybody realized Raiden was right the whole time and started, they didn't need, they, they came back to him, not just for food, but because, you know, blah, blah, blah. The snowflakes were growing up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's, <sighs> what the fuck does a prince know about this shit? For real. He doesn't even, he... He the first scene in the book is some servant bringing him breakfast. Yeah, fuck this guy. That servant doesn't have purpose because Raid is like, oh, I want some bre- eggs. <laughs> Sorry, what? Why did you get Raid in like a weird British accent? I don't know. <laughs> oh, Serene will never meet now because I got the shield. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I hope I don't become a hood. <laughs> God. I also think it's really like uh, really striking how in this section um, it says that uh, with proper tools and materials the work became less an exercise in intentional time wasting and more a productive means of rebuilding new Elantris so like there's a lot there for me like mm-hmm. I think it's just so mm-hmm. 
like we've talked about before how he is basically just giving people busy work but i at least kind of thought that rayadin believed that wasn't quite what he was doing like that he believed that he was you know yeah like they were farming right like i thought he thought that was worthwhile but now he's just sort of like oh yeah it was all bullshit before now it's the real shit and i'm like Ugh. yeah yeah it's weird it's like a reframing of like like it was always clear <clears throat> that it was like i guess the way it played for me before was not that um he thought it was a waste of time but like you know, I'm a supervisor at my job, and sometimes I need people to do stuff, and sometimes, like, I'm like, hey, can you please just go wipe that down, because, like, you know, that needs to be cleaned, and you're just standing there doing nothing, so you might as well just go wipe it down, you know? Um, yeah, you got sure. time to lean, you got I'm time not, to I clean. D- that is not what I believe. <laughs> I think people should be allowed to lean yeah. at work, but also sometimes it's like, Hey, you could like I'm not asking you to do a ton, but can you just go wipe something down to stay busy? Yeah. Um, you know? And so that's what I thought it was. It was like, let's keep you busy and doing something at least a little worthwhile, even if it's not the most important thing in the entire universe right now. Mm-hmm. You know? Um and that's what I thought Raiden was doing before, but now Raiden is like, oh yeah, all that other shit didn't matter. Even though it mattered, even though in the chapters where they were doing it, it mattered. Now we're framing it as it doesn't matter. <laughs> and also, if he's saying that now that we have the right kind of tools, we can actually get get stuff done, like, that's because of Serini. You have those tools because Serini gave them to you. Mm-hmm. Like, it is so ridiculous and unfair that he had this perspective of like ah she doesn't know what she's doing she's ruining everything i've done here like no she's she made what you're doing functional <laughs> and like yeah yes it's through this weird sort of backwards thing where she didn't quite realize that's what she was doing because she came in wanting to bring food and they only were able to get her to get, bring tools through like this complicated negotiation slash manipulation process but like if Raiden had just walked up to her and been like hey so I'm the leader in Elantris food is kind of useful to us but we could actually really use tools that would be a lot more useful she just would have done it right yes like the weird subterfuge and like like manipulation like was never necessary and actively hindered your goals so we're now like if you had just said all this uh, yeah if you just said we want x y and z she would have provided x y and z her whole purpose was to come help the elantrians look joy is more than just an absence of discomfort okay god (laughs) (laughs) i love that you that you pulled up a pirated copy of the book while we were talking. It's yeah, very I didn't want to get up and go pick up my book <laughs> that's in the other room. I was like, eh, I'll just use this website that Mark sent me and just download a new copy of, a, of an ebook. I don't think this is a real ebook. Somebody made this ebook. Yeah. Um, just so I could like have it in front of us. Looking at it, I'm always really impressed by how none of the words in this book are like pronounceable also i can tell this is not the uh the director's cut the fucking 
author, author's definitive edition. Mm-hmm. Because in this next section where they talk about how Hraithan shouldn't be uh, Elondrian, that doesn't make sense. Um, I think in my version they don't call them Jindos. Yeah. I think they say the Jindo. Yeah, the or the Jindo people, one of them. Yeah, why don't the Jindo ever get taken? This time it says, why don't Jindos ever get taken? Which makes it sound like a slur. It makes it sound like a slur. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I don't disagree that it sounds weird and I, it probably was a good idea to change it, but I don't know. It's like, you could say in the real world, you can refer to Germans, right? That's not a slur. It's not... I guess so. Like... Yeah. That's probably what Brandon thought he was doing. It just comes off weird. Yeah. Especially yeah. when... Especially when the Jindo are the, like, Asian stand-ins of the because setting. Because in this version of the book, he also uses Jindoese. Yes. Which, yes. But regardless. Anyway. They talk about how Hraithan shouldn't be here. They're, they're, I don't think there's a lot to dwell on with that He's a Kung Fu priest, though. He is a Kung Fu priest. Now we know what some of those other arts are. <laughs> He's got a plus four base attack bonus. He's got improved on arm strike. Um, and then there's. Do, do either of you have much to say about going and the when they go and infiltrate Shayor's territory? Because I didn't have a lot here. I had stuff. Really. I had stuff about. I, I what barely happens followed after. what was happening there. Yeah, me too. Do you uh, I mean, it, I can kind of explain, because I, I think it's pretty... Yeah, sure. So, what they're doing is, uh, they, they are basically trying to, uh, like, they know that Shaor's men are only motivated by, like, their sort of most base needs, their desire for food. Right. Um, and so what they're, go- what they're doing is they're going and giving them a bunch of food, or what appears to be food, to... Uh, pull them away from giving a shit about Shaor because they know, you know, this is kind of stupid to be a thing that they know so clearly, but it's established, I think, that this is true. That because Shaor's men are so bestial, <laughs> that it will actually be right. pretty simple to make them stop caring about Shaor if you just give them some food. Uh, so that's what they're doing with, like, spilling this grain on the ground and Shaor's men all, like, pick it up and try to eat it. Um, but because it's like dried out corn kernels, it's not actually edible. Like you can chew on it right. and it feels like food, but you can't actually eat it. And so the goal is for them to eat, try to eat it and then realize, oh, this isn't food, but if someone cooked it, it could be. And I bet that guy who gave it to us knows how to cook food. Because <sighs> he's got a fire. Yes. Uh, and it's not... This was... So... You you finished, sorry. I mean, I don't think it, like, makes a lot of sense as a plan, because the precise sort of place that it requires Shayor's men to occupy between, like, not being able to tell that seed corn is not actually food until they literally pick it up and put it in their mouths, and not immediately, like... Not being so driven by, like, immediate needs that once they pick it up and decide it's not food, that they just stop caring about it. Like, they have to they have, to have the reasoning to remember that 
this can be cooked into food and that fire lets you cook things into food, but not enough reasoning to realize that Raiden might have fire unless they literally see it. It, it just, it, they're, they're threading this very specific uh, line yeah. of exactly what Shaor's men don't understand and need to have very clearly demonstrated to them versus what they do understand and can use to reason on their own. Right, so like, the part that I, I didn't totally follow was the infiltration into Shayor's territory, but like, the the scene where one of um, Shayor's men comes to New Elantris is just like, I like I got back on board with this last part of the chapter, and it's just, I mean, it's stuff we've talked about a dozen times, but like, the first wild man appeared out of the evening's darkness. He moved furtively, his stance nervous and bestial. He cradled a ripped sack, a couple mouthful, handfuls of grain clutched within. Like, um, I know you, Raiden said, I know you understand me. You can't have been in here long. That's not enough to forget language, even if you want to forget your, even if you want to convince yourself that it is. Um, and like, the man just says one word, cook. And like, just, they're, they're bestial. They're savage. They've forgotten what civilization is, um, is another line that gets thrown in here. Like, they, they're they trying to convince themselves they forgot what, like, language is. It's just a really gross way to describe people. It's just gross. It's, yeah. And it's, like, reflective of, like... Raiden hoped that somewhere in the back of their abandoned minds that these men would remember that they had once been human. Hoped that they would recall civilization and the ability to cook. Hoped they would confront their humanity. So, like, this is... You gotta read the last line here of the chapter. I won't cook your food for you, Raiden said, but I will let you do it yourself. So, literally, like, if you teach a man to fish. This is also, like... And the metaphor doesn't work, like, one-to-one here, but, like, this is how colonizers talk about, like, indigenous peoples of places that they are colonizing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that, like, oh, they're savage, they're less than human, and maybe they could discover their humanity by, like, coming around to my way of life, and, like, I don't think that, like, I'm not saying that Raiden is colonizing Shayor's people, but, like, it is the language of, like, colonialism applied to the situation, and it's weird, and it's gross, and it, oh, it skeeps me out. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, yeah. I also, uh, there's a, thinking about this plan in a little more detail, they just wasted a ton of fucking seed corn? They need that shit to uh-huh. grow corn with. Also, yeah. also he's planning on letting these like just recruited Shaor's men cook food, which means he's going to give them access to fire. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you trust these guys with fire? Raiden, who is Raiden, who is so protective of like knowledge, is like, oh yeah, fire. That's cool. You know. Like, you gotta teach people how to take care of themselves so that they can take care of themselves. It really speaks to the fact that, like, recruiting people to his his cause, to his side, is really the most important thing to Rayadin. More so than taking mm-hmm. care of the people who are already on his side. 
Yes. Like, he's constantly, throughout this book, whenever there is, like, a a conflict with, like, Shaor's men, or uh, towards the beginning with, like, one of the other gangs, he's always, like, really upset about the people on the other side who get killed, where he's like, oh, damn, we could have recruited them to our side someday, but now they're gone. And, like, I'm not saying I think that's total bullshit. Like, I do think it's reasonable on some level to see Elantris as, like, to see every resource within Elantris as something that is potentially available to him and to worry about any of them actually being lost. But, like, Mm -hmm. in this plan, it just... I feel like if I were any of Rayadin's, like, random followers, like, not his inner circle like Galadon or whatever, but just some person who's scrubbing the shit off the walls, and I heard about this, I would be furious. (laughs) <laughs> like you want to bring Shaor's men in among me like do you not realize that that's dangerous just to go back a second isn't he literally colonizing Elantris that, I don't think that makes a ton like of sense he's like taking because... territory and like changing the like culture of the space and like assuming a, a a form of control over these people. And like, I think he's conquering Elantris, but I think saying that he's colonizing Elantris implies that the people who are currently living there are like an indigenous population in some sense. And I don't think that's really Mm -hmm. true. Um, Like, I don't think there. Yeah. I don't think you're like totally, I don't think you're totally off the mark, but I think like when I think about colonialism, like a huge part of it is like exploiting, a land for its natural resources and using and like conquering the people on that land. Does that have to be for the benefit of another place, like an external? Like, Usually, taking yes. the resources somewhere else. I would, I would say so. Yes. Okay. I yes. this is like this is something that I feel like I should be clearer on, and I should fucking read the Wretched of the Earth like I've been wanting to for like over a year now, and so like it, this is like stuff that I feel like I should have a clearer definition of in my head, uh, mm-hmm. and that's on me, but... I mean, I think the... Re- I yeah. Sorry, go on. I was just gonna say, I was just gonna reiterate, like, I don't think you're totally off the mark, Nora, but I don't, I don't think that's quite what this is. To me, the thing that's really important is that, like, the status of Elantris as, like, a... as a place, as a, as a land, and the status of uh, the people who live there... All of that is, like, extremely fantastical. Um, and was even uh, even before the, the book began. Like, even when the Elantrians lived there, they weren't, like... They weren't people who were, like, born and lived in Elantris. They were people who were taken by this weird magic thing, and then because of that, they went to go live in Elantris. Um, we have no idea what, if any population might have lived there before this magic shit started happening and people started moving to Elantris. It's possible that um, Elantrians have been becoming godlike beings and living in the city of Elantris since, you know, the creation of this world. Like, we just don't know what the deal is there. Mm. Um, Because it's so... Because it it because the history of that place and the history of the people who live there is so first of all so unclear and second of all so fantastical, I hesitate to draw like direct parallels to real world uh, events mm-hmm. in that way. Um, mm-hmm. 
Makes sense. I think this is something that can often be very frustrating, actually, about, like, fantasy and science fiction, is that um, because it's so easy to invent, like, a, a land, a physical place that has a history that's totally unlike any in the real world, um, it's very easy to make things that have resonances with, like, real-world colonialism or imperialism or just real-world, like, wars or uh, political movements that when you kind of scratch the surface are, like, based on totally different things. Um, like, I think every science mm-hmm. fiction series that involves people going to and colonizing a totally empty planet where there is no life at all, um, that is, like, a weird fantasy that right. lots of people believe was true about parts of the real world about which it's not true. And so those kinds of stories can end up being right. really... Yeah. Um, even though, like, if you... If you insist on, like, the logic of the story, you have to be like, oh, well, it's not colonialism. There weren't any people there. But then, like, it's being written by a person in the real world. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Right. And that's what... Yeah, and, like, that's kind of the... the, Ties into, like, the thing that I was saying, that, like, this is not necessarily a colonial situation, but the way, like, that Raiden talks about um, people who are not part of, quote-unquote, new Elantris, like, is very like the sort of language that colonizers use about colonized people you know and so like this is not necessarily colonialism in fiction but it reflects like colonial attitudes towards you know mm-hmm. other people yeah that makes sense yeah no should we talk about Serini? yeah um <laughs> if you thought we had lots to say about Rayadin this week I you gonna take a nice big breath before this one? Before Mark, before you start summarizing, I will just say that so Nora was reading the book in bed, and I like came to tell her something, and she's like, Oh, I just read some shit, and I was like, Oh, don't tell me because I, I'm about to get there. So I put my headphones back in and I sit down, um, and I get to the big thing that happens in this chapter. Mm-hmm. And I looked at you and was like, what the fuck? Just <laughs> you reacted to two different things. Uh-huh. But, um... We should we should get into the summary yeah. so that we could talk about... <laughs> yeah, alright. This is some shit. So, Serini is attending an eclipse viewing ball at Royal's house that was arranged at her behest. Royal scolds Serini for being withdrawn for several days after the incident in, in Elantris and tells her that she cannot shirk her leadership duties for their cabal just because circumstances are trying. Serini says that their problems are dealt with, but Royal counters that Diloph may become an issue. Serini accompanies Royal, but declines to tell him the reason that she requested the party, though she does tell Ash to keep an eye on Eodon and report if the king leaves. Serini watches Shudin and Tarina enjoy each other's company and contemplates her own relationship history. Serini and Royal mingle mm-hmm. and chat about relationships and trade caravans with each other and guests. <laughs> Ash reports that Iodon leaves the party, and Serini follows, using Ash to stay on the king's trail. Serini follows the king, who eventually enters the sewers. Ash tries to dissuade Serini from following further, but she persists. Serini explains the reason for the party was to investigate what happens on my doll consistently, thinking that there was some connection to Raiden's disappearance. Uh, in case anyone has forgotten, Maya Doll is, like, one of the days of the week. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Serini encounters Iodon, along with several other worshippers, in the middle of murdering a young woman as part of a Jaskari Mysteries sacrifice ritual to beseech the spirits to destroy Serini. Before she can try to escape, Andel appears along with some guards to keep her from being harmed. Diloph also appears there, but doesn't take part in the fighting. <laughs> Ash reveals that he had summoned assistance before they left the party. This incident puts Telri in a good position to take the throne since Iodon was imprisoned but Serini decides to try to keep that from happening. <sighs> well, we finally okay. know a little bit about what the Jaskari mysteries are. Yeah, a little bit. And, and I, maybe... I wanna... <laughs> maybe this is why Galadon was so insistent that uh, Rhea did not confuse Jaskari and the Jaskari mysteries. But also... They talk so this the first part of this chapter has um Serini talking about how oh you know this maid or cook disappeared. Yes. yes. And I know she did lose a maid earlier. Yes, this has been remarked upon before that like she lost her room wasn't cleaned, and so she summoned one of the the maids to be like, hey, my room wasn't clean. And, she, and the maid was like, oh, sorry. Uh, the person who's assigned to your room disappeared. That's like the second or third one that's happened like in the last couple of months. I don't know what's happening. And we were like, oh, that's weird. Thought and that was a lie. Yeah, I think Serena was like, oh, she's bullshitting me somehow. Uh, so I would have appreciated maybe a couple more of those leading up to this. I think that that would have been a much stronger, like, <laughs> like set up uh but it was pretty fun when you uh, turn the corner and oops the king is here naked covered in blood and holding a knife <laughs> it's yeah. i i will hand it to brandon i think i was about as surprised as serini was when this <laughs> happened <laughs> like the yeah. shock hit her and me a uh, pretty hard yeah, I have to say, um, I think it was, I'm a little annoyed at this summary for saying that the purpose of the ritual was to beseech the spirits to destroy Serini, um, because, mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to find the part where somebody actually talks about what the purpose of the ritual was. Um, I'm trying to remember who even knew what the purpose of this ritual it was. It was, it was Diloph that could- knew what the, what the... Uh, uh, ritual was. Diloph just tagged along so that he could make a knowledge check and tell them, oh, this is the Jaskari Mysteries. So, uh, I'll briefly say, one of the few positive things I have to say about this chapter um, is that I this feels like one of the few times in this book that Brandon has done something interesting with like his different perspective characters, because Diloph makes uh, some small appearances in this chapter, and the other people in this chapter are like, hey, is he is he a problem that we need to be worried about? And we, as readers, know, like, oh, Diloph's a problem you need to be worried about. But, like, nobody, he's just a guy to most of the people in this chapter. I thought he's that was He's just kind of helpful. He's just kind of helpful. So what he says here is royal, royal, royal? Royal. Royal? Mm-hmm. Uh, our Dorethy friend claimed to have some knowledge on the subject, Royal said. He seemed to think the king was... Pos- Petitioning the gesture spirit, Jesker spirits, to destroy someone for him. Me, Serini asked, growing do- okay, cold yeah, despite guess... her blanket. 
Okay, I guess you're right that the next thing Royal says actually pretty much confirms, yes, it was supposed to destroy you, Serene. Artith Dioff said the instructions mm-hmm. were written on the altar in that woman's blood. So on the altar, it said destroy Serene. Um, but uh, I think, I guess the thing that I'm annoyed about is that when I was reading this chapter, I was like, okay, but I don't trust Dioff's opinion on what exactly mm. is happening mm-hmm. here. But I guess according to the summary, oh, yeah. Dioff is just objectively right in telling the truth. <laughs> I just really, it's really funny to see Dilof like in this CSI crime scene, just like hands in his pockets, looking, kind of leans over, like, oh yeah, that's your name. Bet you feel dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Dilof Columbo. <laughs> I, I, it's very weird that they all just si- decide to trust Dilof and not have any, not be in the slightest bit suspicious about him following them. Uh, like, it's not like these people, Hraithen was like public enemy number one for them until recently. And this is Hraithen's right hand mm-hmm. man. Uh, but no, he's I just mean, helpful. I think they're, because if I recall correctly, and I might not, um, Eondel is like, yeah, um, Dilof saw me and my men getting ready to come here and followed along, and I was so focused on saving you that I didn't want to, um, like, try and deal with Dilof. Yeah. So I, I think they don't trust him, but, it, like, they definitely don't have the right level of distrust, because, yeah, like, he is the right-hand man of, like, the guy they hated most in the entire world until <laughs> very recently. Like, the the thing that I think that they don't interrogate enough here is why Dilof followed them, right? Because, yes. I mean, like, all that Royal says about this is, he saw me gathering Andel's men, I was kind of in a hurry, and followed us. We didn't have time to deal with him. And... So, like, I get why in the moment they're like, I don't know why this guy is following us, but Sereni is going to die, so we can't care about that right now. But in mm-hmm. this little debrief afterwards, they should have asked why he followed them, because, like, they were just leaving a party? Like, I guess, you know, they were doing it in a in a suspicious way, because they were, like, gathering soldiers together to leave the party. But, like, Yeah, and, like, getting swords and shit. Yeah. Somebody, somebody definitely, I'll be really surprised if the next Serini chapter doesn't open on, like, and then Serini decided to have Ashtail Diloph, because, like, what's up with him, <laughs> you know? And if, if Serini does not immediately follow up with that, I'm gonna be like, that feels like a real oversight on her part, as, like, the person who does not make oversights in this book, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, There's something else, this is, like, very minor, but something that I noticed that, like, uh, annoyed me a little bit is, um, that, uh, Serini, uh, specifically, yeah, so at the party, they are actually pretty suspicious of Dilof, because there's this bit where they notice that Dilof is at the party, and, uh, Serini, like, talks to Royal about, like, oh, damn, maybe this guy is our, like, next enemy now that Hraithen is gone. Um, and, uh, multiple times during that scene, uh, Serini, from her perspective, describes him as young. Um, which we know now is, like, suspicious. (laughs) We know that 
he is older than he appears. But it's like, it would have been nice to have these descriptions from Hraithan's perspective in the first place so that that was meant I this detail. This is amazing. <laughs> like, why now? <laughs> it's really funny that everybody just looks at Diloph like, oh, I think he's like 27. I don't know. And it just That's moves a on. baby. <laughs> um... What? So at the party. At the party. A lot of stuff to, to pick apart here. Uh-huh. We don't have to pick apart all of it. Can we pick apart my favorite thing first? Is it the cuck? The what? what? The, the guy that she leads on. Who? What? The guy that she oh. leads on, that she talks about. I don't know or who you're talking I, about. I do not understand... <laughs> your perspective here. I I know what you're talking about. I don't know you're who talking you're talking about. about. You're, she's talking about Serini's like broken off engagement. Like when Serini has that little flashback about her relationship history and how she was engaged to a guy before and then she broke it off. Okay. Yeah, I I didn't latch onto this at all, even a little bit, I guess. She uh is Grayo. Okay. As, what was your? What were you gonna say? It, well, I I gotta talk about something totally one hundred million percent unrelated. So let's talk about this. No, you started first. Okay. So the the thing about Duke Royal mm-hmm. is that every time he shows up, he says something fucked up. <laughs> um. The last time I think we really had a big conversation about Duke Royal in this book was um, when he was, it was at a different party, um, and he was like... You mean Ahab? No. The fat guy? I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. I, I'm totally thrown off right now. Who's, which one's Ahan? That's the fat guy. Okay. Royal is I'm, old. Yes, I'm talking about Royal. Okay. I'm talking about Royal. Because earlier you told me that... No, 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 no. Okay. So the last time that we talked about Duke Royal was at a uh, party that Duke Tellery was throwing, I think. And him and yeah, Serini were having a... Him and Serini were having a chat where um, he was like, yeah, women are always like throwing themselves over me because... Like, I have a lot of money, and I'm old, and so they want to, like, you know, marry me so that they can inherit, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what these women don't realize is that if I marry one of them, I'm going to make them work for it, you know? And, like, it, like the implication of marital rape, you know, that we talked about on that episode, and we don't need to dwell on it more. Um, <laughs> this time, it, he just goes on a weird tangent about how he loves a big curvy women a curvy woman and um oh no no no, no you're right that's, that's not him yeah you're that's right someone else Ahane... that. yes this is why i was confused okay I was like, wait are you about you, to say the yes, wrong thing yes okay as i was talking <laughs> i realized so ahane so his he's the fat guy he has the fat wife yes fat wife is in the fencing club fencing club is getting her less fat and yes. now also related to that mm-hmm. she is eating less uh-huh and he's like, you've ruined her figure. 
I love a big curvy wife, and you've ruined my big curvy wife that I love so much. Um, it's weird. It's a really weird thing that just gets inserted in this chapter. Um, and like, not. It, it feels this, like. It's got this. You weird go. You go. Because I'm kind of that... grasping it. It's got this weird implication that despite the fact that there are places in the world, Southern Aralon apparently, where uh, someone being fat is considered attractive, it seems like as soon as, uh, uh, what's her name? Sayadin, uh, soon As soon as she like uh, met up with Sereni and started fencing with Sereni, she completely changed her mind and decided actually it would be better if I was thin. And like... <laughs> I don't know. The impression that I get from this is that we're supposed to believe that, like, that's objectively true, and that, like, Serini has helped this woman realize that, and it's her husband who is, like, weird and stupid about this for some reason. I don't know. It. Yes. Yeah. I. I guess I read it as like, oh, these are. I don't know. I didn't really know what to make of it. I mean, it, the thing he says is, I'm from Southern Aralon, princess. He says, reaching for more clams. To us, round is beautiful. Not everyone wants their women to look like starving schoolboys. No offense. <laughs> um, And just like... I don't even... I don't even really know what I'm trying to say here. It's just... It's a really weird aside added in, like, I think what Brandon is trying to get at is that there are different standards for beauty yes. throughout the world, and that, and that like, bigger people can be beautiful just the same as thinner people, and I, I, I but also... I, I don't think that, that's what's being said here, though. I think... Uh, yeah. I think Han is, like, a, uh, a ridiculous person. And I don't think that words mm -hmm. being put in his mouth mean that we're supposed to think that they're, like, sympathetic or possibly correct. Like, the thing that really makes me think that this is just replicating the real-world idea that it is actually objectively better to be thin is the, the connection that's drawn without any explanation between uh, Sayadin attending the fencing lessons, which are causing her to lose weight, and eating less. Like, yes. because if she and her husband come from a part of the world where being thin is not valued, or even if she doesn't come from there, but her husband does, so she knows what her husband values, then, like, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for her to be like, oh, yeah, I'm losing weight from fencing. Let me compound that by also dieting. Like, yes, it would make more sense if she was like, oh, fuck, I'm losing weight? Like, oh, no, I need to eat more because I don't want to lose my attractive figure. You but... Know? Um, We were forgetting about the secondary effect of the fencing class, which if she's not from South Arlon, but he is, the other half of the fencing class is feminism and not be in like having these women not be beholden to what mm -hmm. the men want. So yeah. that would also intersect with maybe... <laughs> Now she's being liberated, and now she doesn't have to be fat, which is bad. It, well, and also, and I, I think I'm coming around, because there's the weird connection between her thinness and, um, like, like, exercising more, 
just naturally leads to eating less, which leads to her being more quote unquote like beautiful. Um, the other thing is that like, um, as Ahane is saying this, he's like reaching for more clams, mm-hmm. and so like it, when I visualize the scene in the movie, it is comedy fat person is like stuffing his face and speaking being speaking like, while eating, speaking while eating, and yeah, this is. To me, also, one this... thing that really underlines it is uh, the fact that, like, it's explicitly framed mm-hmm. in, like, the narration from Serena's perspective uh, that Sayadin is literally not eating very much food. Uh, her plate, however, held only a few slices of fruit. So she is, literally, she's dieting. Um, but what she actually says about it, when Ahan kind of points out and he's like, oh, my wife refuses to eat, she says, I'm enjoying my fruit, Ahan. I think you should try some of it. Which is this very like uh very little like subtle cut where she's like actually i'm enjoying dieting maybe you should too dipshit like mm-hmm. strongly implying it, i think it, that she doesn't feel the need to defend her choice like she she that way of expressing herself implies that she actually believes and everyone else around her believes and she knows that she can rely on them to believe that what ahan is doing with like eating a lot of food is gross you know? Like... It, it feels like such a, like, um, sitcom married couple moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. Like, pause for laugh track. It just... That's, that's all I can think about with that one moment. But So that's... That happens. That's the... There are a lot of like little I there are a lot of like little asides and like small moments in this chapter in the party scene. That's the one that I really latched on to. There's also um Emo Serini. We yeah. Can, we can talk about Emo Serini next if we want to. I I really truly 100% don't remember this and I read the chapter 20 minutes ago, so please or well, 20 minutes before the podcast. So Please tell me about this because I I just don't remember. <laughs> I mean, she's just she asserted herself too hard, and now everybody is afraid of her. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And so yes. she's she's she watches Shuden and Tarina dance, and it kind of makes her feel sad about how she doesn't have a boyfriend and will never have a boyfriend. Um, and she, you know, reflects on the fact that, like, when she was a teen. She wanted to have a boyfriend, uh, and then she realized that she was too cool, basically. Too aggressive, I guess. <laughs> um, but, uh, that, so me- boys would never like her. Uh, so she faked being, like, nice and, you know, subservient. Uh, and then she got engaged to someone she didn't actually like. Um, and uh, eventually she realized that she was living a lie, and she broke off the engagement. Um, and then, because she broke off an engagement, everyone was like, oh, now you're definitely not getting married. Um, mm-hmm. And she joined the diplomatic corps, I guess because she was so ashamed of, of having broken off an engagement that she had to leave the country. Um, and uh, and then, at some point after that, she got engaged to Rayadin, which must have been, like, the answer to her prayers, right? Because... She was getting married, yeah. and she was getting to go to Erlon, which for some reason she really wanted to do, but her father wouldn't let her do as a diplomat. 
but I guess it I was mean, I think I think it wasn't Errol. I and maybe I'm misunderstanding, but I think it wasn't that she wanted to go to Errolon specifically, but that she wanted to go somewhere new and like start not life over in like a new social standing. Um, and Errolon had a culture somewhat like where she could fit in um, pretty easily. Well, you know, as an ally so, of Teod. Well, I mean, here's what it says. Uh, she'd fled Teod at that point after her broken off engagement, immersing herself in her father's diplomatic corps. She served as an envoy in all the major cities of Opalon, from Fjordan itself to the Svordish capital of Serafin. The prospect of going to Erolon had intrigued her, of course, but her father had remained adamant about his prohibition. He'd barely allowed spies into the country, let alone his only daughter. So she did specifically want to go to Erolon. Okay, It, it okay. might have just been because she'd been... I'm, it might have been like, I've been everywhere else, why not Erolon? Her father is like, no, no one goes to Erolon. Um, and then he married her off to We there, don't go there like, anymore. I wonder if this is related to his weird conflict with his brother, um, Uncle yeah. Keen. I wonder if this is, like, tied into that in some oblique way. It's, like, fucking Dumbledore feud. Yeah. Which I'm assuming still that they have a, a sister who's Elantrian and or died. Yeah. Oh, is that yeah. why you call it um, Dumbledore feud? Okay. Yeah, sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I realized that it might not, re- like... Play? Did you I, say a Dumbledore feud? <laughs> no, but I mean, if um, they do have if they do have a secret Elantrian sister, then like, yeah, that would that would be pretty similar to that weird dumb thing from books I've never read. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was right about fake Elantrian, so. Um, what was I gonna say? God only knows. <laughs> the so. <laughs> There's a weird thing in this chapter um, where, like, so, I think somebody remarks upon it in in the chapter, right? Where somebody is like, you know, last week, Serene, you were saving the king. Then, or two weeks ago, you were saving the king. Then last week, you were, like, dressing him down in front of everybody. And now this week, you're deposing the king. Um, Just pick a sign. Yeah, and... We're in this really weird holding pattern with Serene chapters where, like, you get, like, half a chapter of, oh, there's this new status quo because Serene does something in with regards to her relationship to Eodon. Um And then you get, like, half a chapter of, like, oh, she has no, some new social standing. Like, somebody, people are, like, avoiding um Serene in this because they're scared that she'll like yell at them like she yelled at the king um and then you get she somehow escalates her relationship with Eodon at the end of a chapter and then I I I assume you know next next week we're going to be talking about like you know the fallout of her basically deposing Eodon (laughs) um next week she's gonna kill him (laughs) like yeah it's it's a weird pattern we're in with Serini. Um It also doesn't like has it been three weeks of the last six chapters? I, I I just made up a a unit of time. I don't actually know what it what it is. Well it has been um, multiple weeks because yeah. she's noticed this Maidal thing. So it's been long enough for her to notice mm. a weekly occurrence. Like mm-hmm. at least I think three times. Um I want to talk about how bizarre, like, the Serini will never get married idea is. Because, like... Yes! 
it's all entirely founded on the idea that she has too brash of a personality and it intimidates men. And so no men will ever want to be with her. But that's not what it's like for a fucking princess. Like, yep. The way that she actually ended up getting married is the way that it makes sense for the heir to a throne to get married, which is to say that it's not about who finds her personality attractive. It's about the fact that marrying her means making an incredibly significant, like, political and, like, economic uh, move. And, like, it doesn't make a lot of sense that she was uh, allowed to get engaged to this what sounds like essentially a rando like i mean a count but like Mm -hmm. not not a not a fellow member of royalty like Mm -hmm. what would it have meant for her father's kingdom if she had married gryo and i'm not trying to say like i get that her father is supposed to be someone who kind of lets her do what she wants and maybe that's part of what we're supposed to understand here is that like yeah she does actually get to make her own romantic decisions maybe a little more than you would expect for a princess but there's not actually any discussion of that here like the idea that she would marry for love and that she's unlovable because of her personality it's just both of those things are just presented as obviously true and there's no discussion of the idea that lots of people would want to marry her no matter what her personality is um Despite the fact that in this chapter, there's a lot of talk about the fact that lots of women want to marry Royal, no matter what his personality is. Right. It's a weird contradiction because it's like, yes, it is true that it's you marry for, you know, political gain. But also it's true that you marry for love. And there's there's like there there's no real attempt made here to like discuss the contradictions they're just like flip-flopping back and forth and from like i feel like sorry you go okay the the way that it comes across to me is like uh yes a marriage with for sereni would obviously be a political action but at least from sereni's perspective her being a girl boss princess is so repulsive that nobody would even want to to marry her even though it Mm -hmm. is like so valuable and worthwhile and that like she feels really lucky that she somehow almost like managed to trick Rayadin uh into right like going for this political alliance even though she's so horrible because she like talks loud <sighs> well and so like from my perspective as like a person reading a novel i'm like oh all of this all of this and all of like Raid and being like, oh, Serini was just as great as he imagined, is to set up that at some point she's going to find out who Raiden is, and they're going to, like, you know, have a relationship, you know, despite all the difficulties. Like, I understand that as a person reading a novel, but I don't understand how and why any of the characters feel the way that they feel, because, like, it's just absurd to me that no one wants to marry the princess, you know? <laughs> the yeah. princess of two kingdoms at this point. <laughs> You know, like, it's just madness. (laughs) It's also like, uh, I swear to God, in a previous chapter, the idea that Serene might at some point take a lover has come up, right? Like, uh, uh, she's in this weird position where she is considered legally married, even though her husband is dead. So she can't get married again. But like, 
the idea that it might be possible for her to have like a secret or like a like an affair, basically. Like mm-hmm. nobles do that. That was like I chapter think... three. Yeah, like and uh it she just seems totally convinced that romance is absolutely barred to her. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that she's been you able only to get... charm all these old men. Look, you only get one soulmate in life. Mm-hmm. And that's that. And There's... it's yeah. And like a one hundred percent and I think this would happen in a like more salacious novel than this, but like one hundred percent like some of the things that have been set up here could lead to, oh, she starts a relation, a secret relationship with Shudin, um, and like, and like, she, like she remarks in this chapter that like, oh, maybe that um, that lady in the fencing club last time was a little more right than I care to admit. Maybe I do actually like, you know, maybe I am actually a little attracted to Shudin. Like, no, it's the opposite. It's. That she's right, but not for the reasons that she said. Because she's not interested in shooting. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's right. interested in being like in Shudin's yes. position. Yes, yes, yes. She's and like jealous. A little bit jealous that Shudin is now, yeah, of like giving attention to this other woman when he was one of her most dedicated so, guys. So I think you could tweak the book to be like, oh, she's going to get in a relationship with Shudin, and also we're going to have her thinking about Raiden, and so this is going to set up that, like, later in the novel, she is going to, like, find out who Raiden is and, like, be in a relationship with him or want to be. And I think it would just be fun and dramatic if, like, she had fucked that up by, like, starting an affair in secret with his best friend, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Like, I think that would be an interesting book. (laughs) I would love to see, and I don't think the book is going to do this, but I would love it if Serini started a secret relationship with Spirit, not knowing that he's Raiden, right? Yeah! She's like, yeah, I want that raisin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the fact that uh, Elantrians are, as we're constantly reminded, very, very ugly, probably means that that won't happen. Um, But I think that's really too bad, because, like, that's like some good juicy romance novel stuff of like, oh, I'm having and this forbidden love with the man who's not my husband. And then eventually you realize like, oh, it is my husband. Like, that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> but that would just give us more things to complain about on the Raiden side. <laughs> yeah, because it, because that would just require Raiden to be an even bigger liar and shitbag <laughs> than he is. But maybe that, uh, I think you yeah. could make that more fun. I think you could make that more fun. I think if you, and maybe at that point, Brandon knows that Raiden is acting like yes. a heel here. Yeah, I think yeah. if you write that novel, like, you have the scene where somebody's like, hey, Raiden, fuck you. <laughs> I think I think that if the if there were a stronger justification for Raiden hiding his identity and pretending to be spirit, even to Serini, and I don't think it would be that hard to make that justification clearer, because, like, it, it would not be that hard to come up with some excuse for why Raiden really doesn't want anyone to know that the prince is in Elantris. Um, and if if he if that were more, like, emphasized, like, if Raiden thought about that sort of thing a little more, and if maybe we knew a little bit more about, like, the complicated political situation, like, maybe if Raiden didn't basically just want to overthrow his father, right? Like, if he had some sort of perspective of, like, yeah, my dad is wrong about everything, but... 
if I were to actually, like, stake a real claim, it would, like, destroy the kingdom. You know, it, mm-hmm. he's, but he's never said anything like that. Um, I got an easy one. Mm-hmm. Sure. It, if people know that the prince is Elantrian, then he's not an heir anymore. Serini doesn't get to inherit anything. Yeah. So he has to pretend that he's dead so that Serini can still take the throne from Eodon. Yeah. 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 Sure. Boom. Easy. <laughs> That's great. Because he doesn't want he doesn't want Eodon to be forced to like give it to Telri or whoever else. Mm-hmm. He wants to like, okay, if I stay pretending to be dead, Serini will be like taken care of better mm-hmm. because she will inherit what I would have inherited. Mm-hmm. But if I'm no, a Lontrian, by law, I'm nothing. Mm-hmm. I know. There are I, this. I do think that it. that isn't quite true in the book as written because I don't think that I don't think that when Eodon dies, Serini is going to become queen. Like, and, mm. and that's not based on we have never actually been explicitly told that women don't inherit royal titles in this setting, but. Based on uh, everything about how women seem to be treated in Erewhon, I think that's probably true, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but mm-hmm. wouldn't be that hard to have established that that's not the case somehow. Um, so, like, yeah, I'm just I'm just fanfic in here. Yeah, yeah, it's a good fanfic. Should we? You all want to talk about Hraithan? Let's talk about Hraithan. <laughs> God, yes. All right, our dessert. It's your boy. Uh, as usual, this summary is one, two, three sentences long. <laughs> Not the old ball game. That's all you need. Hraithan watches the eclipse, growing weak from hunger and thirst after three days of prayer. He contemplates the nature worship of Jesker as he watches the moon vanish, and decides to accept the fact that his worship of Janeth is ordained to be of a logical rather than emotional nature. He eats his food offering to... Did you hear that? Yeah. It's just a trash truck. I couldn't hear it over my own voice. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> uh, his worship of Janeth is ordained to be of a logical rather than emotional nature. He eats his food offering to keep up his strength since he doesn't know how long he will need to stay in Elantris. Just a little check in with the homie. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He's just vibing. He's having like self actualization. The, the stuff happening. The spiritual crisis is turning into like, ah, I will focus, you know, my life in a new direction, but we don't know what it is. Yet. Uh, maybe it's fine that I don't have the passions that Diloph has. Maybe I'm a different kind of person. Mm-hmm. I, I think Moon's it's fucking like... sick, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. I think it's really interesting that. Hraithan has been, like, seeking some kind of genuine awe in his religion. You know, he's been, like, tormenting himself over the fact that he doesn't feel awe for Jadith. He only feels, like, a sort of intellectual respect for Jadith's authority. Um, mm-hmm. And now he experiences actual awe at this eclipse, but he rejects it. He's like, yeah, I could almost get on board with Jesker, but no. And... and I'm not saying it doesn't make sense, because this is a man who has dedicated his life to a particular faith, so I think it would probably take more than one sight of an eclipse to unseat that faith. But I do think it's, like, a little too easy for him to dismiss 
Like, he's been trying really hard to experience this emotion, and after three days of prayer, he experiences it, and he's like, nah, I'm built different. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. know, I I feel like... (laughs) I feel like if I were Hraithan in this moment, I would be like, maybe Jadith is the moon. Holy shit. You know? That would be pretty sick. He'd be like, at the pivot from, like, uh, I guess missionary to religion founder or, like, religion performer mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, it'd be pretty interesting. Actually, yeah. I had a sick idea. Hey, uh, Wern? Is that mm-hmm. his name? Hey, Wern. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, are you. Are you, sit, are you don't sit down you're gonna stand right up when you hear my my news <laughs> yeah uh, I'm kicking doors <laughs> like I I don't know I do like this Hraith and crisis of faith stuff but it feels like this is kind of the same thing that we've seen before where Hraithan is like yeah I'm just yeah. a logical man um, and I'm like are you though are you though isn't there a little he, more going on in your soul? Does Hraithan have it, INTJ in his Twitter bio? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I I usually I'm like, oh hell yeah, the Hraithan chapter. This week I'm like, okay, Hraithan's still going through this, you know? Uh and I'm excited to see where he goes next, but this kind of this felt like maybe the most wheel spinning of the crisis chapters. Well, yeah, he can't progress yet he has to do one yeah only praying so that next yes. time he can be like okay wipes my makeup off i'm healed <laughs> this is like a chapter that works i think if you're i think it's a chapter that works well if you're reading the book like a normal person would read a book and maybe like if you're reading a book let's say three chapters every two weeks is like maybe just kind of a letdown chapter but i feel that's like fine. this book is way stronger in general if you read it just through Probably, I, I I think it, in the sense of like a bad road can be easier to drive at eighty miles an hour. <laughs> yes, yes. This is this is how I felt when we were podcasting about the Legend of Korra. Where if you and I had watched the Legend of Korra in a weekend, I'd be I'd probably be like, yeah, that was fine. And then while you were falling in love with me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, I can't imagine. We... I can't. I can't imagine falling in love with someone while reading this book with them. <laughs> there, you you cut out for a second and so for a second it was just I can't imagine falling in love with someone and then pause <laughs> and it was like oh, you throw dark oh. alright did, did you hear the end of my sentence it was I can't imagine falling we did, we did, we did. while reading this book fuck yes I mean so we fell in love while watching Legend of Korra for a fucking podcast which is a show that I hate but the the, no, the the podcast is good. The podcast was good. The point I was making is just that, like, if we had watched The Legend of Korra in a weekend, like we did with Ruby, I'd probably be like, yeah, Legend of Korra is fine. But, like, watching it at the pace that we did to podcast about it did make the show a lot worse. But also, I think that I am right in thinking the show is terrible. <laughs> doing, doing newbie about Ruby one episode at a time from the start, you would not like Ruby. No. 
but you we got you in, and now it's like, okay, ne- now maybe next episode something good will happen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think this book, if we read it straight through, I'd probably like... Oh, that wasn't very good, and I wouldn't think about it again. It, it would. You, we would not be complaining about the pacing as much. I mm-hmm. feel like because of maybe the, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Um, I mean, I I think that you know any kind of podcasting about a piece of fiction, you are reading it or watching it or playing it in a different way than you would if you weren't trying to do commentary on it. You know. Yeah. yeah. But that's what Hrithen's up to this week. He's just looking at the moon. Love that guy. Love that guy. Yeah. How many chapters are there total? 63 or 66? 63. 63 in a postscript. From uh, from you boy. Um, But that's not not including the deleted scenes, Mad Prince, etc. I don't know if I want to read any of that. I guess we probably should, but I don't know what I want to. We should, because I happened to glance at the last page of it, and it's like, oh, okay, that'll tie the bow on this other thing. Okay. Like we should read it. Okay. Uh, it's, um, our boy shows up. Okay, okay. Yeah. This, okay. Well, <laughs> we'll read that then. Anyway, I was just thinking about, like, how soon do we want to start saying on the podcast, send us emails about Elantris for the finale episode, but I guess we can wait a little while on I mean, depending on... I. Because we were texting a little bit this week about trying to nail, like, nail down a format for the to close out Elantris. Um um it might be good to just do a specific email episode that's like a little shorter maybe. I don't mm. know. Anyway. Well I, it was just a thought I had, but we we can wait off we can hold off on that a little longer. But do Okay. We talked about this in the group chat a little bit. Are we are we done talking about the book? Because I want to talk about podcast stuff for just a second. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel I feel done with the book for now. So I think we talked about this in the group chat a little bit, but I was at work, so I didn't re- read all of this. Did do we want to go weekly until we finish out Elantris? Is that what we agreed on? I'm down with that. Uh, I'm so sorry you cut out. Do we want to go what? Do we want to do weekly until we finish Elantris? Yeah, I like that idea. Um, you know, I mean, I have a lot of free time, uh, so weekly is relatively easy for me. But uh, if if you two yeah. are prepared to do that, then I am. Yeah. I am. Yeah, I would. One, I would love to just get Elantris done, and so now are you going to edit this discussion out and then just say it normally? No, or... I, 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 I might. I might trim this discussion, but I'm just going to okay. leave it in. Like, we will go weekly until the end of Elantris, so, yeah, next week we'll be back with, you know, uh, what is it, 35 to 30, or 34, 36, I don't know, whatever. We'll be back next week, um, so look forward to that, as I think, listeners, once we get to, um, once we start Mistborn... We might go back to bi-weekly. We'll we tinker might... with it and find we'll, out what works. Well, once we start Mistborn, we'll tinker with it. Because, you know, the rest of the Brandon books aren't going to have such a clear, obvious format of reading three chapters to get three different perspectives. I like the three chapters and the three of us doing summaries bit. But that's not sustainable. Because, yeah. like, eventually we have to read Stormlight. <laughs> yeah, and Stormlight's going to have weeks with... Stormlight's going to have weeks where there's, like, a... 
50-page chapter, and we're, we're going to be like, let's read one. Now, that, that only happens one time. Yeah. At but the end of Oathbringer, there's a chapter that's like, really long. This is, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Anyway, we'll be back next week. Mark, where can people find you online? <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Char Asnablunt, uh, and you can find my other podcast, Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, uh, which is a Moby Dick podcast at abnormalmapping.com slash whale. Uh, the most recent episode that we put up as of this recording, I don't know if it'll be the most recent, uh, when this goes out, but anyway, was our anniversary episode, and, uh, I really, uh, worked super hard, uh, to find a whole bunch of pictures of whales on the internet, um, because we covered (laughs) chapters, we covered the chapters that are all about specific pictures of whales, uh, so I wanted to give people a, a nice gallery of that, um. So I hope you all check that out. Yeah, loading up Higgledy Piggledy Will statements like whale, whale, whale. Shut what up. What we have here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter uh, at autumnal underscore coffee. Um, you can go to exportaw.io to find all my other podcasts. Um, I have not tweeted about this yet. Are you announcing it right now? So we announced it at the end of, and then an aeroplane. <laughs> but haven't said it anywhere else? Haven't, only at the end of a podcast. We have not officially announced this on Twitter, but, you know, people who've listened to the podcast have heard. Em and I finished and then an aeroplane. We've talked about every Ghibli movie and some ancillary stuff, and we're done with that podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to that, it is still going to be emeraldmapping.com slash and then an aeroplane. But we're starting a new podcast. Um, Every week we're going to watch one episode of Batman the Animated Series um, and, you know, do like a little 30, 45 minute podcast about it. Uh, It's just going to be Em and I hanging out most of the time because Batman the Animated Series is one, a great show, and two, very light, very just like, oh yeah, Batman beat up that guy. Love Batman. (laughs) So... um, That'll be on, uh, that'll be on Export Audio, this network. Um, you'll get, if you subscribe to the Patreon at $1, you'll get episodes early, just like you do with Arcanum and Hot Singles and, uh, uh, you know, other stuff. Um, things that Autumn edits. Things that Autumn edits, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Because I don't remember to do that because I just put the thing out. You're valid. Or if it's Duelist, I just put it out when Olivia gives it to me. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, that'll be, um, that'll be called Gotham City Limits. It'll be up on the Patreon and I'll make a feed for it after we do the first episode and all that, but look forward to that. You can find me on Twitter at neither Nora. You could, huh? Sorry, I was just saying nice in response to what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at neither Nora. You can find me on other podcasts such as... Uh, Attention Duelist, a Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast where we learned about pet play recently. Um, you can listen to me on Journal Updated, the video game club podcast. We're doing Bioshock this month. And Undertale next month, I guess. We did say that we were doing Undertale next month, so. Um, it also, if you subscribe to the patreon this month before the end of the month yes. you will get access to 
another new podcast, Godzilla's Not Dead, <laughs> where Autumn and I are going to watch Godzilla movies every month. Mm-hmm. At some point in June, this will happen. <laughs> we'll do it this weekend. Um, and we will talk about Godzilla and guys in suits. Yeah. Big lizards. Big lizards. Maybe a big monkey. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it this weekend. There will be a big monkey oh, yeah. pretty soon. And then there will be a very, very big absence of big monkeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually there will be some more big monkeys later. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. You're a dork. It's just that there's like a 25 year gap between big monkeys. Oh, we got married between episodes, by the way. <laughs> If, if this is, for some reason, the only export audio podcast you listen to, Nora and I got married uh, in the, the off week. Um, we I was going to maybe suggest going weekly last time, but I was like, well, I don't want to record a podcast the day I get married. So I streamed that day. You did stream that day. Because I couldn't do Oblivion. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, uh, give money to the podcast network and get free prizes. And until next time, thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs>